It's Monday, July 1st. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into President Trump's casual drop-in to North Korea. We'll connect the dots on why this is a pretty big deal and what it can mean for putting denuclearization talks back on the table. Then, some of the world's biggest players in oil met up today to talk shop. We'll explain what's going on and what it could mean for your wallet. And finally, Taylor Swift is in the middle of a lot of drama, and we've got the backstory that'll help you decode it. We're here to make your Monday smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about North Korea and President Trump's impromptu weekend getaway. On Sunday, President Trump became the first sitting U.S. president to set foot in North Korea, where he sat down for his third one-on-one with North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un. Stepping across that line was a great honor. A lot of progress has been made. Today, we're going to get into what that progress actually looks like, the history between these two leaders, Trump and Kim, what's happened since their last meeting, and what to expect next. So let's go back to February. That's the last time Trump and Kim got together in Vietnam. The U.S. wanted North Korea to get rid of their nuclear weapons. And North Korea wanted the U.S. to get rid of the sanctions against them. But those negotiations collapsed. We actually had papers ready to be signed, but it just wasn't appropriate. I want to do it right. I'd much rather do it right than do it fast. So that meeting ended abruptly, with both sides leaving the table empty-handed. And in the months since then, it hasn't seemed like these two guys were on the same page at all. In fact, it seemed like Kim was trying to find ways around Trump altogether. First, there were reports that North Korea executed or purged the officials who had been in charge of those nuclear negotiations with the U.S. Then, in May, there were these reports that North Korea was testing missiles again, the first launches since the end of 2017. These were short-range missiles that violated U.N. rules, but Trump tweeted at the time that he wasn't worried about it. In the meantime, Kim's been working on his other friendships. He went to visit Russian President Vladimir Putin in April, And a couple of weeks ago, he welcomed Chinese President Xi Jinping for his first ever trip to North Korea. Analysts say Kim wants to show Trump that he has other friends and that maybe he can get those other friends to play mediator between the U.S. and North Korea. Side note, China and the U.S. haven't been exactly tight recently. The two leaders have been in the middle of a trade war, but they met at the G20 summit on Saturday and have now agreed to start talking again. But while all that stuff has been going on publicly since Trump and Kim's last meeting, privately, the two have reportedly become old-school pen pals. Literally, they've exchanged letters. So after the G20 in Japan ended on Saturday, Trump made a quick trip west to South Korea. And he took to Twitter saying that if Kim just happened to see his tweet, he'd be happy to meet at the militarized border between North and South Korea. Quote, just to shake his hand and say hello. So they met on either side of the border and shook hands. Then Trump asked, would you like me to step across? And stepped into North Korea. Kim, speaking through a translator, said he was surprised by the meeting, but noted the historic significance. I believe just looking at this direction, this is an expression of his willingness to eliminate all the unfortunate past and open a new future. Some critics are questioning whether this was just a stunt and want to know what, if anything, is actually going to happen next. Well, both sides have reportedly opened the door for nuclear negotiations to start up again. And the Trump administration reportedly has its eye on a new idea, 
a nuclear freeze. It would basically freeze North Korea's nuclear program as it is now. It could keep the nukes it has, but it couldn't make any new stuff. It's not clear that North Korea would agree to do this. And White House National Security Advisor John Bolton dismissed reports of such an idea earlier today. The American side of the negotiations will be led by Stephen Began. He's been the special representative for North Korea for almost a year. It's unclear who will lead the talks for the North Korea side, though. According to the New York Times, Trump was asked over the weekend if he thinks those officials are even still alive. And he said he thinks and hopes so. So what's the skim? If the Trump administration's reported idea for a nuclear freeze pulls through, it's not exactly the full denuclearization the U.S. wanted or the full sanctions relief North Korea wanted. But some experts say it could be a significant first step. And while the visual of Trump's setting foot in North Korea is getting a lot of attention, when it comes to nuclear talks, nothing concrete has actually happened yet. But both sides say they're willing to go back to the negotiating table. It's unclear when the calendar invite will go out, but in terms of another Trump-Kim meeting, they might already have a location. The White House. Trump has given the North Korean leader an open invitation for what would be another historic visit. Meanwhile, there's a big meeting going down in Austria today about oil prices, and it has global implications that could affect you, too. That's next. We'd like to share another podcast that we're excited about, one that looks at the dark side of the American dream. It's a new series called Gangster Capitalism from C-13 Originals and award-winning documentarian Andrew Jenks that takes an unflinching look at white-collar corruption. Season one examines the college admissions scandal that's exposing Hollywood celebrities, CEOs, and college admissions scam artists in schemes involving bribery, money laundering, and fraud. And that's just what we know so far. With each episode, it takes us deeper inside the investigation and into the inner workings of people trying to cheat the academic system. It also tries to answer the questions, how did this all happen? And where do we go from here? You can binge Gangster Capitalism now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, the 14 member countries of OPEC and 10 more of their friends are getting together in Vienna, Austria. And word on the street is that they're planning to keep oil production low for another nine months so that their oil prices stay high. Before you tune out, let's back all the way up. What is OPEC? First and foremost, an acronym, OPEC. It stands for the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. There are 14 countries in the group, some major players in the Mideast and Africa, and two from South America. Together, they produce about half of the world's crude oil, which is a lot of oil. And in a world that uses a lot of oil, it's a lot of political power, too. One of OPEC's official purposes is to keep oil prices stable. They do that by coordinating on how much oil they're pumping out at any given time. But members have a history of sometimes manipulating supply and prioritizing their own wallets at the expense of other countries like the U.S. So let's get into this meeting in Vienna. The whole group and their allies are getting together today and tomorrow. The biggest item on the agenda is oil cuts. See, OPEC's dealing with a little bit of a crisis. In 2017, the global oil market crashed. Plus, the world is demanding less oil. So oil producers are dealing with a tough market. Meanwhile, a gigantic oil economy, Venezuela, totally collapsed. And non-OPEC countries like the U.S. have been upping their own oil production. 
which means less market share for the OPEC gang. Prices were falling and oil producers were struggling. So OPEC and a few allies decided to do something about it. They got together in December of last year and decided to cut down on production for six months to keep oil prices high and stable. That deal expired yesterday. At this meeting, reports are showing that OPEC has proposed an extension to those production cuts to keep production low for another nine months, meaning they're not seeing a way out of the dark yet. So we mentioned reduced demand and more players getting into the oil production game. But there's been another factor weighing on OPEC's mind. Politics. In case you missed it, the US and Iran have been getting on each other's nerves lately. There have been skirmishes involving oil tankers in the Strait of Hormuz, where a lot of the world's oil passes through on its way to market. Plus, there's a new report out today that Iran has grown its nuclear fuel stockpile, violating the Iran nuclear deal. All of which has led to instability in the region. Experts were worried that tensions between the US and Iran would escalate to an all-out war. And oil prices were shooting up because of the tensions. But remember, the US has also upped its own oil production game, which could mean consumers here have a little bit of a security blanket if tensions in the Gulf do flare up. For more on how news can affect your wallet, head over to theskim.com money. Okay, so if you've been on the internet at all today, you've probably seen that Taylor Swift is in a huge fight with a talent manager named Scooter Braun. Yesterday, we learned that Braun had bought Swift's old record label, Big Machine Records, which basically means he now owns the rights to almost all of her songs, from all six of her albums with the label. She posted to Tumblr about it, but the real beef here dates back well before this weekend. Braun and Swift historically do not get along. At all. Like we said, he's a talent manager. He's worked with big-name artists like Justin Bieber, Demi Lovato, Ariana Grande, and... Kanye West. In case you don't remember, Swift and Kanye have had kind of a rocky history, starting at the VMAs way back when. Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. And then there was that time Kanye and his wife, Kim Kardashian, recorded and published a snippet of a phone call with Swift. You might remember that they had a whole he said, she said, she said about some song lyrics that referenced her. And then Kanye shot a music video for his song, Famous, featuring a mannequin that looked a lot like Swift, naked. At the time, Kanye was Braun's client, and Swift says that Braun either orchestrated some of those events we just listed, or that he bullied her about them online. So now, that's the guy who owns the rights to almost all of Swift's music. And while some critics online are telling Taylor, you need to calm down, she's calling it her worst case scenario. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the tennis court. There's a new player at Wimbledon who's making waves. This afternoon, 15-year-old Corey, aka Coco Goff, beat five-time Wimbledon champion Venus Williams in her first ever Wimbledon match. She was already the youngest qualifier in Wimbledon history, and she's been called the next Serena Williams. Which actually sort of makes sense. She's been following in the Williams family's footsteps and even worked with the same coach. And Serena Williams has even said that golf reminds her a little bit of herself, which scores a love in our book. And that's all for Skim This. 
Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.